Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. Synonyms of the word change. Alter. Make different. Become different. Adjust. And every day, we evolve. We adapt. We change. And this is where we talk about it. This is The Clay Young Show. Thanks, Neil. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of The Clay Young Show here at Podcast225.com. Man, we have a great conversation for you today to share with you. We've got two ladies who are medical doctors who have a phenomenal backstory and a great perspective on a number of things from COVID-19's impact on the country, and they have a personal story about that as well. A true example of hard work and perseverance, and they're right here in the capital city, and you will get a chance to meet the doctors, Shamlin, who will be in studio with me to talk with you about their lives. Hey, Smoke em If You Got Him is coming up on May 23rd. It's going to be at 4 p.m. at Ben 77 Bistro in Baton Rouge. You can buy a ticket online right now at smokeembr.com to learn about our great event and get your ticket and be out there. It's going to be nice. It's presented this year by Mockler Beverage and will benefit the Baton Rouge Law Enforcement and Criminal Justice Foundation. Got a lot to, a lot more to say about that after the interview. I don't want to delay too long on that, but I got to tell you, you're going to enjoy meeting and hearing these ladies. We actually recorded the interview already. I recorded it last week and wanted to, to, to have a chance to meet with them. Their schedules, as you could imagine, are pretty packed, but they came by. We had a chance to sit and talk, and you will get to learn about them. The 2021 Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser, presented by Mockler Beverage. Sunday, May 23rd at 4 p.m. at Ben 77 in Perkins Row. Benefiting the Baton Rouge Law Enforcement and Criminal Justice Foundation. With live music, great food, and an amazing atmosphere. Raise money to support local law enforcement and first responders. Tickets are $100. Get yours at the door or smokeembr.com. That's smokeembr.com. Executone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for the full. 40 years, Executone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors' offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom technology while saving money? That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out of town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call 225-295-3500 That's 295-3500 Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com Executone of Louisiana They still here and they're gonna continue to give you great service. Insight Analysis and motivation from the who's who in the capital region. This is podcast225.com and the Clay Young Show. Back with the doctors, Shamlin, and I was just uh, reprimanded for getting it wrong. Uh, Kenyatta and Tasha, 
uh, doctors of internal medicine and pediatrics. And uh, and they are here with us to talk a little bit about what they do and their backstory. First of all, how are y'all, ladies? We're doing, We're doing great. fine, doing great. Yeah, you know, George Bell has been singing your praises for a long time, and I'm glad to finally uh, get y'all in here. We met three weeks ago via Zoom. Yes. So let me jump in right there. How does the how has the pandemic impacted your ability to do what you do? Because I hated Zoom a year ago, and now I'm finding use for it. So what about y'all? How's it, how's it impacted y'all? Well, I'll tell you what has made us um, more aware of Zoom and telemedicine. As soon as the pandemic hit and everything shut down, we went straight to telemedicine, 100% telemedicine. And we're just now recently just kind of getting back into face-to-face visits with our patients. Okay. That is correct. So, you know, we as physicians, we're used to the... uh, (laughs) The, the contact, we know that um, there's healing and touch. Yeah. And so I think doing telemedicine and um, trying to keep patients safe, because that's what it was about. You know, I think it was hard for us as physicians, although we'll talk about what happened early on and actually mm-hmm. um, doing telemedicine actually worked for us because we were sick with COVID trying to take care of patients um, in the very beginning. So it actually did work. But, um, you know, it's 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 been a transition. And, and it's strange because in the beginning, the older patients, I feel like they really appreciated it. Um, and I, I think it was great that within a week of everything shutting down, the insurance company said, hey, we're going to pay you to see patients telemedicine. That's the only reason it didn't happen earlier, mm-hmm. even though we knew that everything was brewing. We were trying to be careful with the patients that were coming in the office. And so it's been great. What was the hardest thing about it? Nobody was prepared for the reality of what the pandemic was going to create. But you, you both are doctors, and so you, you are dealing with people who are not always in an uncompromised position. So what was the hardest thing for y'all? With the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Okay, it depends on how you look at it. If you're looking at it from a practice standpoint, was lack of um, protective um, protective equipment. Okay. I, you know, I feel like um, as physicians, we were just, just left out there. Like th- there was just not enough equipment to protect, not just us. I mean, we went nights without sleeping trying to figure out how we were going to get enough supplies to not just protect us, protect our employees, yeah. protect the patients. And I think that's a lot when you're already as a physician dealing with so many And everyone things. was scrambling. Everyone. The hospitals were scrambling for um, supplies. PPA. We were scrambling. Everybody was in competition trying to get supplies. And a lot of times supplies were on back order. Our what, guests couldn't even get here. What could have been done differently from the standpoint of people who back up the the medical community i mean that you I, I had the mayor in here and and other officials when this was going on and they were all trying to get situational awareness on how they can support you because you're dealing with people who are ill but then you've got this other thing we're trying to understand so you know what could have been done differently then god forbid we ever go through something like this again but if so what would you say we should do differently from the perspective of doctors I feel they should have prepared. Uh, you know, when you look and see how much we had in storage um, as a country, we did not. We did not have it in storage, which is part of the problems. Everything from ventilators, the PPE, like we talked about, the protective um, wear, the equipment. We just weren't prepared. We weren't prepared with hospitals. We weren't prepared with protocols. I know we were scrambling, trying to get advice from, you know, um, different medical societies and organizations, trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we keep people safe? I just think we need to be prepared and have something, protocols in place. And I think we didn't do that. I think it could be more unified, and I think it has to start at the top, the government. That's where it needs to start, and it can't be 
um, state by state. It has to be one unified effort when it comes to a pandemic. A pandemic doesn't know Louisiana from Florida, from Texas, from New York. We're all the same. We're all in it together. The educating people on what they needed to do, what they could and couldn't do based upon the reality of the pandemic and whatever other pre-existing health conditions they may have had. How did you guys navigate that? It was about educating our patients that they have to take care of themselves. They have to wear their masks. And if they were high risk, even more so, you don't go out and do the things that you were doing before. Mm -hmm. So it was about educating them and just talking frank with them and, um, and just being honest. You know, truth be told, if it wasn't for the medical community and the sacrifices made by people on the inside, this thing could have been a hell of a lot worse. And you're, you're hearing all these stories after, after the fact about the extra hours doctors and nurses worked to try to get to people and help people because folks were afraid because you didn't know what to do. People you knew who were healthy last week, you know, went through this and there was impact. So now let's go back to the beginning with, with the both of you. What triggered a love affair with medicine. Why'd y'all, why, why did you want to be doctors? Wow. <laughs> you know, we're the only um, physicians in our immediate family. We come mm-hmm. from a family of educators. So I yeah. think we always thought to some degree we would be educators, which we do. We do it every day. We do it with patients. Um, I know for me, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Kenyatta, um, you know, we had a family member that died of AIDS. And mm-hmm. um, it was um, back in the ni- 80s, 90s when... Um, there was a, a stigma, especially in the African-American community. Mm-hmm. And that really hurt me to see um, how everything unfolded, how the family treated him to a certain degree. And um, so that's what first got me interested in medicine. Um, and then from there, it just kind of took off. So, you know, we kind of went in, I went into, I know you went to the sciences as well. And then we had this interest in medicine, we worked at Pennington and Pennington first built. I mean, <laughs> tells you how old we are. Um, and I think that was our first experience doing some biomedical, doing research. Um, and then from there, um, realizing I didn't really want to do things with test tubes. I really want to deal with people because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like um, I connect to people. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I think, you know, I got into it. I don't know if you agree, Keanu, if it was something different. No, I'm in total agreement. It was that particular family member that we had to experience what he experienced. I, I pray I, I don't ever want anyone else to experience what he experienced from the family to the community. And then also we lost a really close uncle around the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that um, made me more aware of medicine, the healing aspect of medicine, and what could I do to make things better for people. So you, you get into it. Why, why have you decided to be in practice together or work together because you know working with family is always fun and never has any problems so why'd y'all decide to work together and and do this I think it just kind of fell in place I think Tasha and I we're totally different right totally different personalities (laughs) but I think we complement each other we like the yin and the yang okay and I think we keep us keep each other balanced yeah but I mean you you can also motivate each other in ways that others can't because you are blood Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. How does your how does your team handle you know the fact that the bosses are not just well, related but sisters? This is what I'm going to say. Kenyatta, so so as long as you have balance, it always works. Yeah. Kenyatta's the financial one. I'm actually the more creative one. And is that so, true? Um, is that true? That's just, okay. It's very that's true. true. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I'm very creative. She's very cerebral. Um, and so it, it comes together at some point. So I feel like when the employees want something, they know who to go to. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I, 
my pastor told us, you know, as long as you all are on the are in agreement, you will always be successful, meaning my sister and I, mm-hmm. because we actually are one to a certain degree and we have to be in agreement for business to be successful, personal relationships, everything to be successful. I mean, that's, you know, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's a long story. If people who know us, um, they call us the twins. We're not. And the reason why they call us twins is they started me a year early in school. And so Kenyatta and I have always been together from kindergarten. Mm. We were actually in the same grade. Mm. And so um, our mom dressed us as twins. Yep. Um, That's why people know us as twins. As the Shamlin twins. But we actually are not twins. We were dressed alike until what, fifth grade? Yeah. Pretty much. And so... um, you know, Irish twins, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah. So the the motivation, because you have a, a very educated family and, and the family that's involved in and in, in achievement. But having said that, did you did you run into any roadblocks, uh, either collectively or individually on this journey? It's a lot of school to become a medical doctor. So what about the journey? So you don't have to hold back, you know. <laughs> So I think there are multiple barriers. First thing, a woman, mm-hmm. a female um, in medicine, I think in itself is a barrier. Um, you know, we left Baton Rouge, went to Houston, trained at Baylor. Um, Houston's more metropolitan. And so um, the way people think, um, the way people interact, um, acceptance is different in a large metropolitan city versus coming back. So I think mm-hmm. we came back. First thing being women, and there are very few, at the time, very few female physicians, I felt that there was a, first thing, a culture shock coming back. Um, Second thing, um, being African-American, that was also very difficult. In training, not just in college, but but definitely in training, it was very, very difficult. But we didn't let that hold us back. And I remember complaining to my father about a situation I had where there was a racial incident with my um, medical professor. And my father said, you know, Tasha, I was one of the first African-Americans to get my PhD at LSU. And if I can do it, you can do it. And you realize that in the era that he grew up and we're sitting here complaining, basically mm-hmm. we need to suck it up and realize that our forefathers, those who have gone before us, have paved that path for us. And that we complain a lot, but a lot of times we just have to suck it up and say, okay, you have to be a trailblazer. I remember going to George and I said, George, you have us in this practice. You know, We really didn't feel accepted as women we didn't feel accepted as African-Americans at, at some point. And he said, well, Tasha, somebody has to be a trailblazer. I said, George, why us? And so, <laughs> why not you? <laughs> um, you know, he helped us get our first job at, at the Baton Rouge General. And um, I appreciate that because mm-hmm. someone has to be a trailblazer. And that's what my father was telling me. Somebody has to be a trailblazer. So guess what? It's going to be you. There you go. It's part of our responsibility, right? I'm in total agreement. I can remember the one thing that I can remember is Tasha and I did finish college in three years because we came, we went to Baton Rouge High. Mm-hmm. And when you go to Baton Rouge High, you can finish with credit. Right. And so we started off as um, like, you know, mid-year freshman, but we finished in three years. And I can remember an advisor telling me, you're not ready for med school and you will fail. Hmm. My dad, my mom and dad <laughs> went straight up to campus and told them that you should never tell a tell anyone that and he and one thing my dad said is that you 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 don't know unless you try right and and we have prepared you to take whatever road you're going to take for the future yeah and um that's just one thing i remember that he he told us you could do anything you put your mind to you know and don't let anyone ever tell you that you can fail my mother used to tell me nothing beats a failure but a try Mm -hmm. and that always kind of stayed with me because it's 
you never know. Um, the example you said along the way, and we'll get to where you are now, having done this for so long, but what did you notice about others who were in your lane trying to do what you were doing, watching you do it? Because I believe so often people watch the hardest workers and groups and it can kind of be motivation to keep going. Like your dad said to you, look, look at what I had to go through. If I did it, you can do it, which is a compliment to you, not a compliment to himself. And the way I hear it, you know, it's like, I believe you got that in you. I had it in me. What about the people who watched y'all along the way? Were you aware that you were being a trailblazer or did you think about that at all? Well, at the time when you're in the midst of it, you don't realize you're a trailblazer, right? When you get to the other side of it. So it's just the people that are pushing you to keep going. So when, when I'm in the midst of something, you don't always see that people are looking at you. I see that now because I'm older and I realize I, I am an example for other young women of color and other people who are interested in going to medicine, regardless of what color they're in, what color they are. So I think when you're in the midst of it, you don't always see it. But the people that are that are beside you, those are the that's your inspiration. Same. I'm in complete agreement. What? Why those two fields of med- medicine? Uh, you know, pediatrics and then internal medicine. Any particular reason why? Oh, there's a story there. If this was television, <laughs> you would see there is a story there. Oh, man. Well, for me, it was easy. I, I love kids and I love adults. And I always wanted to do family medicine. But when I went to school, I realized family medicine was not what I really wanted. Because when you go into the residency, you have to do surgery. You have to do OB and you got to do GYN. And then you do PEDS and you do um, internal medicine. I just loved internal medicine and kids and I loved when you do when you do internal medicine and peds you do more ICU and more intensive care more hospital work so Mm -hmm. it's a more in-depth look at medicine pertaining to adult and children's medicine so this is is, is why she's laughing (laughs) over there so so what you really don't know is (laughs) the true story from kindergarten so so this is what she hates to hear when kenyatta first went to school and and i'm I'm gonna come back because it kind of it kind of flipped when we were uh we were residents okay she when she first went to school she cried and she cried because she was a year ahead of me so i was in pre-k she was in kindergarten so she cried until my father allowed me to go to school and they put me in a different class and she kept crying so finally they put me in a class with her and we were together ever since and she's like go on and tell the story this is the story I tell (laughs) so we've been together ever since because she cried because she wanted me to be with her and then um, when I was a resident it was kind of the opposite I actually wanted to do internal medicine because I said you know what I don't think I'm going to like peds I'm going to put it at the end of my my rotations like I'll I'll start interviewing I know you really wanted to be a neurosurgeon and an astronaut okay so this is what I really wanted to do that she keeps throwing (laughs) in my face I really want to be a neurosurgeon and I really you know and and Baylor had an astronaut program where they put you in space within a certain amount of time and she's like and you should never be negative she said Tasha you're never going to be an astronaut you don't like getting your hair wet you have to learn how to swim (laughs) and I said what I was so upset I remember telling my parents that and they just kind of laughed and I thought about it I'm like you know what she's right I don't want to get my hair wet every day trying to learn how to swim to be an astronaut so anyway so that there was an internal medicine program that actually was what I was going to do I wanted to actually first be a neurosurgeon I said you know what I really want to go on the internal medicine astronaut program that Baylor had in conjunction with NASA so see you never know and then um it was weird because I started interv- I was getting ready to interview and I did the pediatric rotation. I'm like, I really like this. This is really cool because what she's not saying is, you know, I always say family practice is like jack jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. 
internal medicine pediatrics there's very few of us out there but mm -hmm. what we are is we're specialists of adults and we're specialists of children right. that's how we market ourselves so right. we can see everything from a newborn we say a family practitioner most of them won't see 12 and under mm -hmm. till do 12 and older we can see everything from a newborn to someone over 100 years old we can take care of very very sick patients our training is very in-depth and that's the big difference in what we do. We didn't want to do surgery, but we can we can still do, do GYN. I didn't want to do OB, so we pick and choose those things. We but we're, but we're very good at what we do, and that's it's very very intense training in those areas. Impressive. How do y'all push each other? I mean, how do you? Yeah, because I know what happens. Because you know, how, how do y'all motivate each other? Get after each other? Because I'm sure you guys can motivate each other in ways no one else can. How do y'all do it? I think we did so well in school because we were very competitive with each other. We mm -hmm. were not going to let the other person get the best grade or whatever. So we always um, studied together. Okay. We were our study group. See, that's so. awesome. That, you mentioned earlier being women of color, doing what you do, and there is now in society more of a focus on uplifting and recognizing the struggles of people of color of, of, of all ethnicities now. And so that, that means you wear a big hat. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this new era of open dialogue about the struggles, but also the accomplishments? I feel the South has a long way to go. I see a lot of issues with cultural sensitivity here in this, not just this city, but in the South period. Um, of course, your metropolitan areas are not as bad. Like I said, we were used to being in Houston for eight years. So it was a little culture shock coming back. But even now, you know, the easy, you know, my parents always say that the easier path is not always a path you should go. The easier mm -hmm. path would have been to stay in Houston. Right. That would have been the easier path. All the barriers, all the things that we deal with even today, every day, we wouldn't have to deal with probably. I mean, to a certain degree, yes. Being a woman, period. Being a woman of color is dual, is double. But there, I, th I see a lot of lack of just cultural sensitivity. Things are explain they, what they that, don't even realize what they say when they say I, things. I was going to say, explain what that means to someone who's wondering what that is. Well, not at the same you time. An, you want to give an example? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, because. You can, you can do that. <laughs> They're trying to be so polite. So, typically, <laughs> geez, um, clearly you are meaning a comment that is made where someone doesn't recognize an inherent uh, discrimination aspect or tone to it when they say it. And like you said, they don't know because there's, there's a, a lack of cultural awareness, even not just gender-wise, talking to women, but women of color and, and running into that. And I get that you guys want to be very polite and diplomatic about that thing. So I won't press the point, but I'll twist it to move to here. How do you avoid having letting it impact you when or if it happens? I'm very outspoken, so I call it out. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I give an example right now, it will be understood exactly what was said because I could that that's been said to me multiple times in the last couple months. So um, I just think people need to be more culturally sensitive in things that they say to people. So what I do is prove them wrong. Okay, so we have this, we have that. You know, there's a different culture. Whatever the issue is that you feel that we have that makes us different or makes whatever we do different, that's fine. But we're going to succeed at everything that we do, regardless. And so I feel like you have to prove them wrong. You have to excel. Um, you do have to call it out because some, a lot of times they're not aware of things they say or how it's said or even how it's perceived for that aspect. Um, I agree. So 
if don't let something like that negatively impact you, but let it positively push you towards the next step to to prove them wrong for them to see that to for them for you for you to be pushed to the next level to give you inspiration to keep going. That's the way I see it. And I do believe you should call it out. And if, there are ways in which you do it. You have to be you have to be also politically correct when you call it out because most times people don't realize it. Most times they don't. They just don't because we tend to live in bubbles, right, in this society. And so if you don't expose yourself or even at the point expose your kids, that's really where it starts with mm-hmm. your children. If you're not exposed to it, then you would really never know. You know, last year was was obviously trying for you guys because of a loss you suffered um, losing both of your parents to this to this virus. And, you know, I I don't um, when George and I talked about this, I never wanted to get too deeply into that because, quite frankly, it's not everybody's business. But I, I will say, having known so many people with similar stories mm-hmm. last year and, and people let the average person wouldn't even know public people who suffered losses and didn't have a chance to mourn Uh, just if you could just say what that was like and as much as you would like to and then what your motivation or encouragement to others who went through similar circumstances would be okay so um it's strange because i still talk to patients today who who don't realize that we went through this um this terrible tragedy because mm-hmm. I feel like it's a tragedy. But it is. early on, um, my parents lived with with me, and they contracted COVID, and they passed within three weeks of each other. And of course, um, I got COVID. Kiana, you got COVID. Your kids got COVID, and so because you live, you know, you live right there near us, and so we interacted. And so um, at the time, we were doing telemedicine. So even though I remember I was sick with COVID, you were sick with COVID, we were still seeing patients. We never stopped. My parents were sick. My mother at her age refused to go to the emergency room. I was trying to take care of her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was getting, you know, oxygen concentrators and trying to take care of my, trying to get an IV. I was caught, you know, trying to take care of them in my house because Mm -hmm. back then, whenever you went to the hospital, no one could see you. That was my mother's greatest fear is that she would go to the hospital and never see her family again, Mm -hmm. which ultimately is what happened. Yep. And that, 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 that is the worst way to die is when you are not with your family. Isolated. Very isolating. Yeah. And so uh, I remember my mother got sick to the point. She made the comment. She's like, I'm ready to go home. I said, what? She says, I'm sick. You don't know how sick I am. I'm really, my, my father took care of her. Mm-hmm. He wiped her. He took care. He took care of her until she got to the point. She was so weak. We had to call EMS. And when they would not let me get in that ambulance, that was the hardest thing for me. Mm. But they did let me go into the emergency room with her. And, uh, but when they took her upstairs, that was the last time I saw my mother. Um, before she passed mm-hmm. and I remember my father for two days they had never been away from each other people who know my parents know that they were like yin and yang they they were always together and so two days later he said he came in the front he said I'm ready I said you're ready he's like I'm ready to go to the hospital and that's when I knew he was not feeling good he was mm-hmm. having problems breathing but it was it was once again tragic and I remember once again bringing him to the emergency room and my mother was in the hospital at the time and I'm like you know I cried because I realized it was a very strong possibility I would never see my parents again. Mm-hmm. And I told my father, I said, you know, you're the great, I said, you are the first love of my life. And, and, you know, we as women, if we have great fathers, 
they really do treat us how we are to be loved. Mm -hmm. If you have a great father, you never make a mistake as far as you do make mistakes, but you know how a man is supposed to always treat you. And that's when I told him that he just smiled and he just kind (laughs) of patted my hands like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, which he always does. And I left him and I just cried my heart out. Mm -hmm. And that was the last time I saw my father. Um, And we were sick. We were seeing patients um, from home, um, waiting for the ICU to call, trying to get updates, you know, following them on a graph, which a graph is not your parents. And FaceTiming them, even though they couldn't say anything, they were both on ventilators. They both went through dialysis and they both passed. And uh, it was a great tragedy because as physicians, people think we're these strong people. And when they left, they left a hole. And even though people tell you that things get better, oh, it's going to get better, it really doesn't. You learn to live with it. Right. But it, it's still there. There's right. always that hole. That yeah. hole is always there. You try to fill it with other things, but it's always there. And so how you look at the pandemic is different. It makes you angry when you see people not wanting to wear masks. Yeah. People who, they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there putting your life on the line. These physicians, these nurses, we're burned out. Yeah, right. Most of us have post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. whether people call it that or mm-hmm. not. I remember thinking after I get through this process, I'm going to have PTSD because I am so devastated by the loss by, from this pandemic. And we're still going through it. It's every day you take care of patients, even though it's better now. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, can you please screen the patient at the door? You, you know, you hear the patient cough and a shorter breath in the next room. You're like, you know, you try not to bring patients into situations where you have a large number of employees who may or may not be vaccinated for whatever reason because a lot of times there are cultural reasons i'm gonna get to that yes yeah and so Mm -hmm. you know it it makes you angry because i'm like can y'all can you just triage patients can we not bring sick patients in here that could easily be seen say over you know telemedicine or whatever and it's just you know just wanting people to be more cultural but whenever you lose someone with it i think the way you the way you view this virus and this pandemic is different but um definitely a loss a loss to the community they were great Educators, they, you know, we're their legacy. We talk about this all the time. Um, just forever changed, forever changed. It has made me more compassionate about the virus, about vaccinating, about getting my patients vaccinated. And I think when they see that their that their doctors have experienced such a loss, it just brings it home. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I pray, it makes them do what they're supposed to be doing. Right, right. And then your what? What are your thoughts to people who like like you said, Tasha? They're it doesn't get better. You just learn to live with it. There are people still dealing with it now. What's your encouragement to them? The same thing. I had a patient today I just saw who lost her mother to COVID um, about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, it's, she said, the hole is there. I said, it does. I said, guess what? I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't go away. I'm very honest with them. But get vaccinated. Like Kenyatta said, you know, um, you just have to educate them. You have to educate them. Because I, I tell people, I want you to get vaccinated so you never go through what I went through. Because, yeah, we don't necessarily vaccinate for ourselves. We vaccinate to protect Your families. others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the problem with the mentality of this country. We It is a me mentality. It can't be. You have to yeah. care about others. You, you know, have to. You know, you I, to. I got, um, I guess over a month ago now, I had my second shot. I got vaccinated and at the first uh, opportunity I could. And I just, in talking to people about the vaccination, you hear some of the most ignorant things uh, from people. And, and some of it is born on social media, which, you know, I often call a cesspool of ignorance. And um, one of the things somebody said to me was uh, the reason why they didn't want to get the vaccine was they didn't want to be tracked. Like, dude, 
you tell Facebook everything about your life, where you eat, when you're eating, where you go. Steve, and why the hell does Steve Jobs care about what you're doing with it? So, and, 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 but again, and, but then there was the other side of this that I did find, although I didn't agree with it, I found it a legitimate reason to be concerned, and that is the stories people told about how they were impacted after having the vaccine, the, 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 you know, 12 or whatever hours that they went through with it. And some people were nervous about that. So, and I didn't experience it, knock on wood, but it, no problems at all. But what about that? Your thoughts on the vaccine? I know you both support people getting the vaccine, but what about some of the misinformation that's been out there? Well, you know what? I, I support it now, but I'm I'm totally human. You know, I had a lot of reservations initially. Oh, and you were against it too. I'm not going to say against it, but I wanted to wait. Okay. Okay. I wanted to wait because think about what our community has been through. The Tuskegee okay. experiment is yeah. the first thing you think about, right? Yeah. And that impacts each one of us. So when things like this come out, that plays a part in each one of us. I, I know it does. And because I, I talk especially to my older patients, that's what they think about. Can we trust the government? You know, it took a lot of prayer for me to say, go ahead and do it. I did. I did it early, like in December. I think mm. it came out about, what, October and November. I did do it at the end of December, beginning of January. Um, I don't regret it. I did get sick. I got, mm-hmm. um, the first time was just a little sore, and the second time I felt like I had the COVID all over again. That's what I heard from people. But guess yeah. what? It was 24 hours. You go to bed, you wake up, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. You have your life. Yeah. Yeah. Right? If yep. you don't vaccinate, very likely, you, and you get sick, you don't know what you're going to experience, yeah. how long you'll have it, and what are going to be the, the complications of it. And will you make it out? And I'm going to say this. <laughs> the fact we had a vaccine that came out, the single vaccine, and a lot of it did get put out in the African-American community, and a lot of the churches gave it, I think that that has set us back. Mm-hmm. I'm just being very honest. It, and, explain what you mean. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I'll mm-hmm. give you an example. A patient came in and said, so I know the biggest question I get now is, uh, if you had to guess how many, what percentage of your patients you think are actually vaccinated? Probably about 20 maybe. Probably about 15, 20, 20, 30, mm-hmm. 30%. So the biggest question is, which vaccine do I get? Mm. And I was always like, you know, I, I know I read, you know, I read the medical journals, it's best to get vaccinated with something and nothing, et cetera. I'm like, no, you need to get the two-part vaccine. And so a patient told me, well, my pastor said, Okay, we're talking about mis 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 uh, education in our and in, in the community. This in the community says the Johnson and Johnson is the best vaccine. I said, really? Is that because that's the only vaccine your church your, your church gives? And she looked at me and said, yes. I said, yes. And I said, I'm telling you, this is the vaccine you need to get get. And so once again, I think that that leaders in this community, and I don't care if it's church, government, city, hospital. We need to educate people and not impose what we think onto people that's not founded, information that's not founded. I agree with you, and nothing I will say about how and why I agree with you will avoid getting me into trouble, so I'm just going to move on to the next thing because I, I want to go some places, but it's all good. As we record this show, it's Friday, and we're going to be good, but you just don't wind me up like that because... Uh, but anyway, moving on, moving on. So now it's for... I'd like to ask about legacy for the two of you. What do you want your legacy to be? I know you're not in the in the place in your life where you're thinking about that all the time, but it sh- it should cross your mind some. That's hard. I mean, it's hard. 
I just want to be a person like my parents who made a difference, that people remember you. Don't you think you are? I never think about it. When you're going through it, you never think about it, right? It wasn't until my parents passed that I realized, wow, their legacy, how many people they touched. They truly affected. Mm-hmm. They truly They're still touching so people. many people, yes. Mm-hmm. Us, yeah. right, right. And you know, um, and we can't forget that, that we're their living legacy. Having a living legacy is the best thing. I know mm-hmm. there's some other things that we like to do. We're talking about opening up a girl's group home, mm-hmm. um, just outside of medicine, where we can touch and permanently affect children. I think that's really important, I know, mm-hmm. for, uh, I know it's it's a venture me and you are going to be working on, I think, in the the near future. Um, But taking care of of lives. I just want someone, you know, to remember that we did something positive, that we made a positive impact on someone's health or someone's life. Not just just physical health, mental health, spiritual health. I think all those things are so important, how you touch people. Just touch people. I think that if you see that we can do it, you can do it. I think Mm -hmm. that's the, the, the biggest legacy. Um, it's not easy. It's never easy. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. You just got to get there. You have to make sure you have your foundation. And relig- spiritual, religious, religious, religious foundation is so important. Um, I just pray that my life becomes a legacy for, for other people. And like Tasha said, if even if you just touch one life and you can make a difference, that's a legacy in itself. Well, how can people learn more about your practice or you or whatever? Are, are y'all on social media? I mean, individually, are you on social media? Well, you know, as physicians, we're not encouraged to do social media. There you go. Okay, I ain't going to touch it <laughs> But from our there. businesses are on social <laughs> but media. But our businesses are on social media. Where, where can they find your businesses on social media? But maybe the kid, as the kids so, say, maybe they, they just Google you www.themedicalspotbatrich.com so so yeah. yeah so that's our website um and we also have a facebook um I'll for the you, medical spa yes there and so go. and so you know i guess one thing we can talk about is you know we, we we've been physicians for 20 years now um dual internal medicine pediatrics mm-hmm. and what we realized was that we were touching lives from a physical standpoint but there's a there's an aspect of, especially not just women, but also men, wellness and wholeness. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's where the medical spot came in. So we know if you don't feel good on the outside, you're not gonna feel, feeling good on the inside is not gonna be enough. You have to feel good on the outside as well. So we, those two things meet together with the medical spa and that's why we enjoy doing the medical spa. That's our second business. Um, and currently we are employed with our Lay the Lake Hospital. Awesome. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for coming in and talk. This is not going to be the last time, right? Of course no, not. Of course not. So here's what we're going to do the next time is we're going to talk specific to what you do, questions about health or something. We'll, we'll get together on some misnomers about health and things that people can do. The, the subject matter of wellness for me is always interesting because it's so multifaceted and things that you can do. And I'm big into making certain that you're going to be around. So... That was my thing with the vaccine. I'm trying to be here when everybody else is gone. So anything that's going to give me more days, I'm doing it. Well, thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. The 2021 Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser, presented by Mockler Beverage. Sunday, May 23rd at 4 p.m. at Ben 77 in Perkins Row. Benefiting the Baton Rouge Law Enforcement and Criminal Justice Foundation with live music, great food, and an amazing atmosphere. Raise money to support local law enforcement and first responders. Tickets are $100. Get yours at the door or smokeemvr.com. That's smokeemvr.com.
This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. This is Podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show. I told you they're delightful ladies, super smart, and it was great to have them in studio. We'll get them back later in the year to talk about matters of health. Pick their brains, get you a little free medical advice. How about that right here on The Clay Young Show? So, Smoke em If You Got em is coming up on Sunday, May 3rd. It is our annual fundraiser. And I guess saying annual fundraiser is a little different because we didn't have it last year because we got COVID-19. But it's happening this year on May 23rd at Ben 77 Bistro here in Baton Rouge. It's a Sunday evening. Again, it's 4 o'clock, $100 ticket. There's going to be live music. There's going to be food, a dessert station. Sponsors sponsors include Geico, Pest Stop, in addition to our title sponsor, Mockler Beverage, Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting, and Clay Young Enterprises, raising money to benefit the Baton Rouge Law Enforcement and Criminal Justice Foundation, a nonprofit organization that works to br- build a bridge or help bridge the gap between law enforcement and the communities they serve. We're also supporting public safety here in the capital city region, and I'm excited about what we're doing. It's off to a pretty good start. We've already provided vests for the constable's office. We have made donations to five local organizations, actually talking to another one now about a summer program, and there's so much on the horizon, but trying to do good work. I sit on the board. And I'm looking forward to what we're going to do there. And we're raising money for first responders and law enforcement and our community right here in East Baton Rouge Parish. So if you want to know more about the event, log on to smokeembr.com. That's smokeembr.com to learn about this year's Smokem If You Got em. Should be a great one. Should really be a great one. All right, that's it. Quick opening, quick closing. You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR on Instagram, Clay underscore YoungBR, and uh, just Clay Young on Facebook. And my email address, if you've got feedback that you'd like to pass along to the doctors, Shamlin, or make a show suggestion, or just tell me what you think, that email address is Clay at podcast225.com. Until the next time, stay safe, be great. We'll catch you here on The Clay Young Show at podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.